Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. It is the first day of September 2016, which means you are listening to the very first broadcast of Koinonia here on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ for September of 2016. And I'm glad you are. My name is Tim Wright. I'm filling in today for Tom. I am a pastor out at Community of Grace Lutheran Church in Peoria and really honored and excited to be a part of the show today. We're going to be talking about what I think is going to be a compelling subject, and we're going to go deep into it today. It's a subject that impacts all of us. It's a subject that impacts our culture, and it's a subject that we can all do something about. And to whet your appetite, I want to read a few statistics for you so you get a sense of where we're going to head today. For every 100 girls suspended from elementary and secondary school, 250 boys are suspended. For every 100 girls expelled, 355 boys are expelled. Boys are three times more likely to be treated for ADHD. 85% of all stimulant-addressing medications prescribed in the world are prescribed to boys in the United States of America. 70% of all Ds and Fs are given to boys. The average reading skills of a 20-year-old boy have declined in the last 20 years. And for those of us who are Christians, 70 to 90% of the boys in our church will leave the Christian church at some time in their teens and 20s, and most won't come back. The point is we have a crisis today when it comes to our boys. Our boys are being challenged in almost every area of life. They're falling behind girls in almost every area of education. And it's a topic that impacts all of us. It's a topic that will impact the kind of boys that we raise into men. It will impact the kind of men that they are in culture. And I have some special guests today who are going to talk with us about this crisis and some positive things that we can all do about this. Uh, Whether you're a parent of a boy, a grandparent, maybe you coach boys, you're an educator, you're a therapist, uh, you're a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a youth leader, this is a topic that we all care about. This is a topic that impacts all of us. And so one of my guests today is a good friend of mine, and through the miracle of technology, he is with us live today from Spokane, Washington. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He's written several different books, uh, among them The Wonder of Boys, The Mind of Boys, The Purpose of Boys, Boys and Girls Learn Differently, The Wonder of Girls. And he really has become a good friend of mine, a mentor, and a partner in mission and ministry. And uh, I'm glad to have him with us today. This is Dr. Michael Gurian. Michael, welcome to Koinonia today. Hey, thank you, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's really good to have you with us today. Michael is going to be in town here, back in Phoenix, on October 22nd, uh, out at Community of Grace in Peoria. And together, we're going to be doing a summit called the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit. And it's a summit that's geared to parents of boys and grandparents and educators and church leaders and Sunday school teachers, anybody who loves boys, raising boys, works with boys. And the two of us are going to talk together about how to help our Christian boys thrive and how to change the storyline of their lives. And for those of you who are able to multitask, uh, you might want to go over to our website so you can see more of what we're talking about today. It's uh, uh, helpingchristianboysthrive.org. 
backslash Phoenix, and that's with a small p, uh, helping Christian boys thrive backslash Phoenix for all the information. And Michael and I are going to be back, and we have another guest with us as well. We're going to talk about the challenges our boys are facing in the 21st century. We're going to use some brain science research. We're going to use some biblical principles to talk about how you can change the storyline in the lives of your boys, the boys that you're raising, the boys that you work with. So thanks again for being with us today on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright, pastor of Community of Grace Lutheran Church in Peoria, filling in for Tom Brown. We'll be back with Dr. Michael Gurian and talking about how we can help our Christian boys thrive in just a few moments. Welcome back to Koinonia here on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright, pastor of Community of Grace Lutheran Church out in Peoria, filling in for Tom Brown today. And we are talking today about a subject that impacts all of us. We're talking about boys and the challenges that our boys face in the 21st century. And on the phone with us today is my good friend, Dr. Michael Gurian, who some have credited with being the father of the modern-day boys' movement. Uh, Michael, I think you're old enough now. We're the same age. I could say you're the grandfather of the modern-day boys' movement. And happening. <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we're so glad that you're, you're with us. And I know Katie's going to be with us in studio here in a little bit, who runs the Gurian Institute. Um, let's take a few minutes before we actually dive into the topic of boys and uh, talk about how you got involved in this topic of boys and in the work that you've been doing for over 30 years. Where did this get started for you? It, it started for me uh, both personally and professionally. At the personal level, I think the inspiration and the passion of it was that a lot of the things I help people with their boys now were things that I struggled with as a boy and that my family struggled with, troubles in school, developmental issues, uh, you know, et cetera. I mean, just across the board had a difficult uh, boyhood. So I, I think that as I evolved and grew, became a therapist and so on, I, I was committed at a deep level to try to help the next generation, you know, not have to struggle that much. Then per, uh, professionally, the um, uh, I got very interested in, in gender and the brain, sex and the brain, and how the male and the female brain are set up differently. And so that started about 30 years ago when I was in college and then grad school. And I couldn't find any discussion at that time of the differences between the male and the female brain. And I got very into that. So for about 10 years, I did research, some of it overseas, to, to look at patterns of behavior among males and females and to fully establish what the brain scans were showing, which is that the male and the female brain are set up quite differently. And that developed the Boys and Girls Learn Differently program. So to kind of hang on that for just a moment, it's interesting when you, you talk about uh, using brain science research uh, we live in a culture right now where um, this topic of boys tends to be a, a political one. And we don't hear a lot of discussion today about boys. We still hear a lot of things about girls, which is great. We've got a woman running for president. Um, I just wrote a blog post that we haven't had a little boy in the White House. And by little boy, I mean a real little boy, not a president acting like a little boy. We haven't had a little boy in the White House really since JFK's son, John. Uh, in the last several administrations, we've had little girls and so that seems to get a lot of attention. Um, but because of the political discussion, we, we tend to want to focus first on equality 
And when we do that, I think we miss the uniquenesses between a boy brain and a girl brain, and that's what you try to address with the Gurian model. Yeah, uh, the Gurian model is definitely an equity model. I mean, we we have from the very beginning, as we've done the Boys and Girls Learn Differently programs in in schools, most of which are are co-ed, of course, because most schools are co-ed, and then it has evolved into churches through, you know, collaborating with you. Uh, All all the way through, we've shown gains for both girls and boys. So, um, uh, you know, girls' lives are improved and boys' lives are improved. So we're a complete equity model. Uh, and that's a given. And of course, I, I'm, I don't have sons. I have two daughters. And Katie, who will be joining you, has four daughters. So all of us care about both sexes, both genders. And we don't see what some of the politicos see. For the politicos, equity, as, as you're hinting and as you said about the White House, the, the ec- equity is uh, very much in numbers and, and in money and in certain core themes or key themes. And one of the key themes that's very important to a lot of folks in power is to keep the idea alive that in order to have complete equity, we have to have gender sameness. And what they've done is set up an impossibility so that that ideology, right, can continue forever. Because it's, for instance, impossible. We're never going to have 50% kindergarten teachers male. That's never going to happen. Just like we are never going to have 50% uh, mechanical engineers be female. That's never going to happen. The brain differences are significant. We can increase the number of females in mechanical engineering, and, and the Green Institute is committed to that, and we work in that field with corporations. We can also increase the number of males who might be interested in teaching kindergarten, right, and more, get more males in school. We can do those things without having the gender sameness model. And so we're coming at it from the angle that the more you understand about how the brain actually works, and gender on the brain, the better able you are to meet needs of equity. But the other point of view is no. <laughs> the only way to have equity is, is create a situation in which everyone is the same. And our idea of diversity is different than that idea of diversity. That seems like a very uniform idea to us. We really believe in diversity, that everyone is diverse, including males and females. Um, that's not the case for folks, for many folks who are talking about gender equity, but are really talking about uh, uniformity. So is it safe to say that if we start from the the proposition of equality, we, we tend to move to sameness, but if we start with brain differences and the way God has wired us, that leads to equality? Yeah, well, yeah, and I, I think that 50 years ago, this whole gender sameness is the way to get to equality. I, I think it made sense 50 years ago. I think this is what we have to realize, that there's a, there's a kind of evolutionary drag in the political commentary much of that political commentary that you were referring to is, is 50 years ago, but it's, it's dragging forward to now um, because of this wrong concept of gender sameness. Uh, but we both want equity, and I think those people want equity. Uh, and I think in some areas they force it. I mean, they, you know, they are forcing, they have forced the government, for instance, to not pay attention to boys mm. and to almost exclusively pay attention to girls and women. And that has forced... Uh, a certain amount of financial equity. So, so I think their way works in some ways, but the problem with their way is then it creates so many systemic failures for the people who don't exactly fit their concept. Uh, and, and of course, uh, systemic failures for males, because when all the government agencies and et cetera have, have programs for women and don't have any for boys, you lose the boys, and then that ends up backfiring on the women and girls the boys become more depressed, more lethargic, more violent, 
and it backfires. So what we're what I'm suggesting is I, I agree that those people are fighting for equity, and I think again they've accomplished it in some ways, but they've created disaster also. And so we need to come to something that's a better middle ground, that's more based in science, and that is creates systemic success for both females and males. And therefore, I think yes, that the brain-based point of view is a smarter point of view. So you've probably already answered this question in a way, but you you have done brain science research on both boys and girls. You've got a uh, a, uh, a Green Institute that's committed to helping uh, educators, for example, uh, do even a better job of teaching boy brains and girl brains, but you have a particular passion for boys. So why is that? Well, I think, it, well, it's two things. And again, even though I have daughters, uh, it's two things. One is I was a boy and I struggled. So I totally understand that point of view at a visceral level. Um, and so I do think that there's a, there's a visceral primal thing going on there. The second thing is professional. There's almost nothing in, in our culture to help boys. Almost everything uh, from social services to education, et cetera, is to help girls. So that's a, that's a vacuum. And 30 years ago when I entered that, that, I didn't know I was entering a vacuum, right? I was just doing boys and girls learn differently, brain-based differences. Uh, let's talk about it. But as it has happened, I ent- there was a vacuum, and there was almost nothing on boys, and, and programs were evolving, especially starting in the early 90s. Programs were evolving around girls, and of course, they've just exploded in the last 15 to 20 years. But we really don't have that programming uh, to help boys, and our schools are especially um, uh, burdened with the old conception, right, the old 50-year-old conception of what male and female is, and so they can't they can't get their teachers trained. Uh, they can't get funding, many of them. To, and the teachers are having very few troubles with girls. Almost all their troubles are with boys. Similarly, uh, you know, you could speak better to this, but our collaboration in churches and the Christian churches is that we see so many boys sort of drifting. Right. And, and uh, so we're developing that programming. So I think it's both personal and professional. And the professional part has just been filling a vacuum and filling a need and then collaborating with others like yourself and Katie to fill that need. There are so many other people filling the need for girls, but there just aren't very many filling the need for boys. You're listening to the Koinonia Show here on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright filling in today for Tom Brown. My guest is Dr. Michael Gurian. We're talking about boys and both the wonder of boys and the challenges that boys are facing in the 21st century. And Michael, to that point, uh, one of uh, the stories that was um, eye-opening for me was when I got together with some government officials to talk about a Helping Boys Thrive Summit here a few years ago. And uh, everybody on that committee represented in some way a government agency working with girls. And uh, so when I asked one of my friends, are there any government agencies in Arizona that work with boys, he said there is one, and it's the corrections facilities. And that was the only thing he could think of that's helping our boys, which I think is probably pretty true across the country. It is. It is. And I I had that same thing happen with the Department of Justice when I was uh, doing some consulting for them a few years ago. Same exact thing. You know, I say to him, okay, um, What's out there to help with boys? And and almost sardonically, well, the the prison system. That's where boys get treatment. That's where the, and that's where they get some spirituality. I mean, a lot of things because they go to prison. Well, obviously that you know. Then he was sad that he said that, but he said that's my reality. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that in the last few years that there is there is more happening to help boys. Like there's my brother's keeper to help boys of color. I mean, I think I think it it's getting through. And the Helping Boys Thrive and the Helping Christian Boys Thrive is an example. 
We didn't have any of these a few years ago. Now we have a number of them around the country. And uh, Helping Christian Boys Thrive is going to be pioneered by you uh, there in Phoenix. So, so there is movement. There is movement. But it's very, you know, it's very hard. The kind of the undercurrent that we have to deal with politically is that when we go to these folk and we say, okay, you know that's not, that's not good, that most males can't get the help until they hit the prison system, right? And then people say yes. And then we say, okay, well, why don't we do a Helping Boys Thrive initiative in this state? And then they'll say, well, okay, but we're going to run into Title IX problems or we're, we're going to run into gender equity problems because you're doing something to support males. And that's the politics that we're going to, at a grassroots level, have to knock down. Because the politics are set up right now that if you deal with girls, you're fine. If you deal with boys, you're unfair. And until we break that down, that 50-year-old model, uh, we will have some trouble getting this stuff through. Well, certainly parents who are raising boys know that there's a challenge with boys. And educators know this. A lot of people know it. It's just a matter of getting at it. And we're going to talk more about that. We're going to focus on the wonder of boys in our next segment. We're going to look at some brain science research. talks about how great our boys are. Michael Gurian is going to be in town October 22nd for Helping Christian Boys Thrive out in Peoria. He'll be there with me. And if you are interested in that summit, I uh, would love to have you check out our website, helpingchristianboysthrive.org backslash phoenix with a small p. Helpingchristianboysthrive.org backslash phoenix with a small p. This is a seminar that's going to be uh, talking about the stuff we're talking about, but going much more in depth. And um, we're going to uh, talk to parents and grandparents and educators and church leaders. Anybody who cares about boys, anybody who's raising boys will want to be at this event. We'll talk more about it on the other side. I'm Tim Wright, filling in for Tom Brown on Koinonia Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. You are listening to Koinonia today on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright, pastor of Community of Grace Lutheran Church out in Peoria, filling in today for Tom Brown. And we are talking about one of my favorite topics, and that's boys. And partly because I was a boy, uh, I raised a boy, I have two little grandsons who I absolutely adore. But also I feel passion for the challenges that our boys are facing in the 21st century and have committed a part of my life anyway to helping parents and grandparents and educators and church leaders figure out ways to change the storyline of our boys. And one of the great gifts that God brought into my life is my friend, Dr. Michael Gurian, who has written several best-selling books on boys like The Wonder of Boys and The Mind of Boys, The Purpose of Boys. And he and I are going to be doing a seminar here in October called Helping Christian Boys Thrive, which we'll give you more information on in just a moment. Uh, but, Michael, I want to bring uh, into our show today uh, a mutual friend of ours. She's newer to me, probably, than to you. And it's Katie McPherson, who is now the director. Is that right? Or did I just give you a raise? Executive director of the Gurian Institute, and which is now located here in Phoenix, which is really exciting. I think Phoenix is sort of becoming an epicenter for these kinds of issues for our boys with your leadership, and Michael's been here many, many times. Katie, you, you come from a background as an educator. So as an educator, what are some of the things that you are noticing about boys in the education system and just boys in general? 
Well, what I've noticed, um, especially since social media and technology is kind of advanced, I'm noticing that more girls are using that as a medium to kind of chat with each other. And I'm noticing boys actually be more expressive at the school level. So in my office as an assistant principal, 98% of my school day was spent in school discipline and supervision of not only teachers but students. And I saw a lot of boys in my office. And what I saw was kind of a shift in the last five years of more boys coming in just to chat and just to vent and kind of get some of those social pressures out, whereas the girls were kind of using the social media as the medium for themselves. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. How about when it comes to uh, the challenges that boys face? We, we know that boys have been falling behind girls for a while. Were you seeing that as well in your school district, in your area? Absolutely. I'm in the East Valley. Um, I was in the Gilbert School District as well as the Scottsdale School District. So same, everywhere you go, there you are. So same issues, different place. Uh, but what I saw really was the aggression nurturance. I was at uh, the junior high level. So okay. Boys exploring their relationships by touching each other and moving bodies sometimes through space. Mm. So as a school administrator, um, difficult stance to allow those relationships to happen uh, with parents not wanting that to happen. So some parents feeling like, I don't want anyone touching my kids. So the bullying movement and all the relational aggression, a lot of media was centered around boys and girls shouldn't be touching each other physically. So that was a difficult thing for junior high boys, especially like in a PE setting when you have 40 boys on the PE field with lacrosse sticks and we're asking them to have self-control when they're 12, 13, and 14 years old when they have an object in their hand. So that was tough um, from a disciplinary standpoint. Also from an academic standpoint, um, lots of language arts and reading. That was really difficult with all those words for them, whereas girls were kind of surpassing them academically in that area. Right, which we see throughout all of uh, the United States of America. Right. Yeah, and and when you think about boys, I've got uh, two grandsons. They're both uh, in kindergarten, and part of the way that they express their love for each other is by fighting each other and punching each other. And, um, you know, in a culture that that, uh, doesn't understand boy behavior, that can be somewhat disconcerting, and certainly you don't want them to hurt each other, but you want them to at least express their desires uh, for friendship the way that they, uh, they do as boys. What was it that, that led you then to lead the education business and become the executive director of the Green Institute? Well, really, it was just this passion and conviction. I actually, unfortunately, had several male students who took their life. Mm. And so just through the, all of that discipline and watching the systems kind of fail our boys in the sense of not understanding the boy brain completely and really teaching to that girl brain. I heard Michael speak a couple of years ago and went to the training and just thought, this is it. This coupled with my academic experience, my education experience, this can make a difference across the nation. And so, so excited not only to be executive director, but continue to learn alongside of Dr. Green and all of his associates, as well as you, as to how we can change the culture in our schools to embrace more boys. Yeah. And you've been doing an, an a fantastic job this last year. Michael, you got a good one on your team. Katie's awesome. I'm learning a lot from her. Believe me, she's so humble and kind, but I got to tell you, just like I learned from you, Tim, I am learning a lot from Katie. She's a dynamo. Well, Katie mentioned a little bit about boy brains. And uh, Michael, what are some of the differences between a boy brain and a girl brain that makes boys unique and that maybe in some ways speaks to some of the challenges that boys are facing today, particularly in school and in our churches? 
Mm-hmm. Well, let me, you know, we know of more than 100 just structural differences, so there are a lot. But let me pull out three really quick that jump off of what you've been saying and what Katie's been saying. And uh, one talking about the words, the, the setting up a school system around verbal literacy, which is connecting, you know, connecting words to feelings, doing written worksheets, you know, doing written homework, all of that. The more we move toward that, the more we leave out um, a lot of male brains. Some male brains are very verbal, of course, but we leave out a lot because the female brain has the advantage. It has word centers on both sides of the brain and connects the word centers to the sensorial centers, the emotive centers, and the whole package, right, on both sides of the brain. Males only do it on the left and generally the front left. So that's going to create a systemic failure for millions and millions of males, especially when the expectation is that they read at four or five, which is going to be impossible for a lot of those brains. uh, the, a second one is the white matter and gray matter. As we've moved the the school systems, the churches, and everything very much more toward multitasking and, and use your words and connect your words to your feelings immediately, and a lot of these things, which are fine things, but they favor a brain that utilizes more white matter activity, and that's the, that, that's the activity in the brain that connects um, five or ten uh, things in the brain at once right it moves signaling really fast and females use up to 10 times more white matter activity than males males use up to seven times more gray matter activity so project-based learning or apprenticing at 12 years old like the the you know a lot of those boys as katie and i've discussed in her school if they could have apprenticed at 12 years old to a mentor a lot of this stuff wouldn't happen because males are filtering life through three or four really intense areas of passion and acumen, and that's because they form these gray matter areas, and they they use more gray matter in their processing, and females use more white matter, more of the constant connections and multitasking. So the school systems have kind of left males behind there systemically. And then the last one is the testosterone that I'll pull out right now. A lot of this, you know, what Katie was calling that aggression nurturance, and, and you were talking about males relating to each other by being physical and touching each other and all of that. That stuff is actually really, really good, and we've created a system, as Katie noted, in which we have tried to cut that out, and that's because we didn't understand testosterone. We didn't understand how the male brain is set up, and we didn't understand that males are connecting emotive centers to these spatial centers and these kinesthetic centers, so they're actually emoting just as much as a girl is by using, a, using words. Males are emoting physically, and both ways are fine. It's just that we've created our systems to punish the male way of emoting and to uplift the female way. So we need to uplift the female way, but we've got to stop punishing this male way. We have to actually train everybody in understanding the male way. Uh, So those are three that I think are profound. You're listening to Koinonia today. I'm Tim Wright filling in for Tom Brown. We're on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. We're talking about boys. And uh, as you just heard from Michael, his stuff is so fascinating uh, and once you begin to hear that God has made these brains differently, they're still, they're still equal, but differently, uh, you really start to understand uh, boys, you under, understand girls. And that's part of the purpose for our Helping Christian Boys Thrive event coming up here in October, uh, October 22nd, out at uh, Community of Grace in Peoria. Uh, we want to talk about these things, and we want to talk about these things to the church, to those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are impacting boys, whether we're parents or grandparents. 
educators like Katie or um, therapists, coaches. Uh, it's a way for all of us to come together on a common purpose to say, how can we change the storyline of our boys and give them a vision to be good, heroic men uh, and impact our culture with the gifts and talents that God has given to them? Uh, Michael, what are some of the things that you have um, seen maybe change for our boys, their stories over the last few years? Katie's mentioned some of the things she's seeing now because of social media. What are some of the things that you're seeing that might be changing, perhaps, the way boys relate to the world or even changing their brains a little bit? Well, you know, this is this is very important. I, I just am so glad Katie brought up the social media and 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 let's. I'm going to connect the social media to electronics, to video games, to that whole world uh, that is affecting uh, development. So I'm going to pull out two big things. It's going to be the whole electronics, visual, cell phone, smartphone, social media, all of that. And then the other thing is actually the neurotoxins and what they're taking in environmentally through through food and through their environments and how that's affecting testosterone levels and how it's affecting cells, male cells. And you just tell me how much time we have. Should I just take one of them before break? Uh, yeah, start with the first one. If I need to interrupt you, I will do that. Yeah, interrupt me, and then I can do the neurotoxin. Yep. The, the, um, so, you know, a lot of people are, I'll just give an example. A lot of people are giving their kids uh, a cell phone at like nine years old, right? And they're, they're, they're doing that, and they say, well, I need them to have a cell phone because I want to track them. And I, I get that. I have kids. But I would caution them. I would caution them for both boys and girls, and specifically I caution them for boys because male social-emotional development requires constant environmental contact that's active, not passive. And what happens – oh, and the reason this is required is that we're, we're creating neural pathways in that brain, and it's, it's, the, it's the natural environment and the relational environment that's active that creates these neural pathways, and it does it by, by um, implications to dopamine reception, which is the reward chemical. So all of this has to happen, like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, all in that time. If we, if we give them time in front of screens and we give too much of that, including a cell phone, their brains will move the dopamine uh, over to these screens because they're so stimulating. And uh, we won't realize it's happening. And then by the time they're 14, they will not have developed their social emotionals, some of their academic, cognitive, and, and they'll lose physical, right, because they'll spend less time in moving around physically. And, and we'll find by 14 or 15 that not all, but many of these boys are struggling in one of the three areas or more, social, emotional, cognitive, physical. So the longer we can put off, their immersion in those things, the better for their brain. It doesn't mean video games are bad or anything. They're not. They're fine. But we got to do this stuff in moderation. And if someone has a nine-year-old, you know, an hour or two in front of a screen is probably enough for that brain. So I'll, I'll just deal with that one first. Great. Well, we'll be back with Michael and Katie in just a moment. You're listening to Coinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright, filling in for Tom Brown. We're talking about boys today, how to help our Christian boys thrive. If you'd like more information about the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit coming up, go to helpingchristianboysthrive.org backslash phoenix with a small p. Helpingchristianboysthrive.org backslash phoenix with a small p. October 22nd with Michael Gurian. We'll be back in just a few moments to talk more about our boys. All right, we're back for one last segment with our special guest today, Dr. Michael Gurian, who's on the phone from Spokane, and Katie McPherson, who is here with us in studio. Katie is the director of the Gurian Institute. And uh, I want to chat with Katie a little bit. We were talking uh, off mic 
about some of the things that she's experienced now this for a year uh, doing the Green Institute stuff. And one of the great delights I have when I bring Michael in to speak is to just see people's eyes light up with understanding um, and uh, these big aha moments that people have. What are some of the things that you see when you do these things now along with Michael? So I have been on the road for the last three weeks in nine different states doing teacher trainings and parent trainings. And I think it's really a couple of things. Number one, as Michael said, with the video games, they're now understanding video games provide the three ingredients that boys need, novelty, relevance, and competition. And you get to, you know, move objects through space, whether it's a person or possibly, you know, some of these games that have shooting and weapons. So that seems to make sense to parents. What they've also um, acknowledged is, wow, yeah, my daughter talks so much more than my son. So when we're talking about females typically say 15, 20,000 words a day and boys and men, five to 7,000 and how sometimes as moms, we overwhelm our boys with those words. So chunking those into more um, tinier pieces or just three-step directions, you know, shoes, teeth, backpack, as opposed to a big, long dissertation about what they need to do. Mm. Um, Those get moms all the time. They just like, oh, okay, that's what I need to do. And I would also say the aggression piece. You know, why are my kids, you know, when they're wrestling, what's my threshold to know when it's play and when it's not? And so when they hear the information from Michael about this is actually them bonding, they're like, okay, I just need to figure out what my baseline is when I think someone's choking if it's a safety issue as opposed to them playing. So those, I would say, in my experience thus far, that those are the top three. How about the teachers? What are they coming away with? They're recognizing kind of some of those systems in their own classrooms that they need to modify or adjust. You know, simple things like hearing for boys is different. Classroom placement, um, classroom seating, allowing them to be up and moving every 12 to 16 minutes with one of our strategies so that, you know, when boys stand up, the atomic nervous system allows them to be more alert. And so in those groups that they're putting kids in, um, just recognizing that slight little shifts that they're making can not only make their life so much easier, but it's so much more fun and engaging and dynamic for some of those boys that might be struggling with language arts and reading especially. Right. Michael, you were talking about a a couple different things that uh, are changing uh, the way that boys are relating to the world. The first was uh, video games, and you were going to talk about a second one that has to do a little bit with diet. Mm, Yeah. uh, This is this ability we now have that we didn't have many years ago to study the human genome and therefore, of course, to add the Y chromosome to that and study the male. And um, so since 2003, which is when the genome mapping happened, then actually as it's evolved, more like sort of since 2009, 2010, now that this is available to most parents, most, you know, just about anyone, the genome mapping is teaching us a lot. And so as we look at, at um, boys, another thing I'm begging parents to do is think about their genome. Who, who are they? What are their cells? You know, what is their, what are their genetics? Uh, all of this will apply to girls as well. Um, but with boys, we have a particular thing on the genome that we're studying, which is that the male testosterone levels, so that's at a genetic level, um, are going down. And these levels have been going down for about 30 years. So then there's this thing called epigenetics, which is you don't change the genotype. The environment isn't changing the genotype. It's changing the the phenotype. So what this means is that we're passing to the next generation certain things. And, and in the sperm, we're passing the lower testosterone in, and then the plastics 
and all these environmental factors, the estrogens in the food and the fertilizer, are lowering, lowering male testosterone levels. And this is especially true in the Western world and especially true in the U.S. because we use the most of this stuff here. So we are negatively affecting um, the male genome, and, and um, uh, we're having more depression among males because when you lower testosterone, the mythology is if you lower testosterone, you'll have you know, less aggressive males. That's the mythology. But actually, if you lower testosterone at these drastic rates, you'll have more depression. That leads to more under-motivation, and then it leads to more violence. And um, we're, we're looking at, I call this male anhedonia. This is this, um, you know, low, low-grade depression that we have so many millions of our males in. As Katie mentioned, some have committed suicide. Uh, some are, are beating and killing other people, right? They're becoming violent, not to self, but others. And then many are drifting into electronics. They're drifting away from school and they're dropping out. Uh, so I would beg people also to look at the neurotoxins and, um, and just get deeper into this genome stuff because we know more than we did 10 years ago. So uh, I'm going to give this to both of you. Michael, we'll start with you. Um, if you were the parent of a boy today in the 21st century, what are two or three things that you would build into your home, into your family, to help raise your son to be the heroic man you want him to be? Well, I'll do the macro and, and ask Katie to do the micro. In other words, Sounds good. I'll do some macro thinking, and then if Katie would do strategies. Um, at a macro level, the one thing I would do is I would make sure that this male has what we call bi-strategic parenting, which is both female and male parenting, um, because males and females parent in different ways. And then wrapped around that would be a system in place for godmothers, godfathers, aunts, uncles, in other words, for extended family co-ops, for, for there to be around the bi-strategic to be four or five others who are going to be very close in a mentorial way with this. this and this could be through church, school, uh, team, teams, etc. And, and included in there would be the father, right, bi-strategic. Uh, the second macro thing I would do is I would study male development as discrete from female development. We're all human, but get deep into what a boy is and, and figure all that out so that you can set standards uh, in your system that are appropriate and developmental standards that are appropriate for a boy, touching on a lot of the things we've touched on today, but developing it all the way through. The third thing I would do is I would uh, compel as much as possible the political system, the school system, the, the mental health system, compel them to get rid of the old 50-year-old model and become more real to now so that they can build the kind of programming that this son of mine will need when this son enters um, preschool, then enters school, then enters the mental health system if required, and then enters the political system. So those would be three macro things. Katie. So I get a lot of um, parent messages and emails regarding homework, and so I would say some strategies that can be great for boys is chunking, like I said, maybe giving them 10, 20 minutes, and then one of those brain boosts or brain breaks that we do where you're giving them some physical movement, you're allowing them to have water and allowing those brains to just have a little bit of a break um, and then get back to content. And I would also say in disciplinary situations where mom and dad 
maybe they've made an impulsive or risky decision, um, recognizing that walking with them, um, allowing them to have water and moving an object through space, whether it's a ball or something you can throw together or just shoulder-to-shoulder walking, does way more for them than sitting them down and asking them to have eye contact with you. Because one of the things that I've learned, um, and this was where I did a disservice to my students in my office, was when they didn't want to make eye contact and pick up on those facial cues, um, especially from a female, um, I I read it as defiance. And it's actually something that they need not to do at the moment to bring those cortisol levels down. So to recognize um, maybe giving them some time to de-escalate and then taking a walk and moving physically um, when you're deciding consequences. Well, we we certainly have some great resources now available. Michael has written some wonderful books, The Wonder of Boys, The Mind of Boys, The Purpose of Boys, uh, to help us. And there are a lot of good books out in the market today on boys and, and how boys learn, how boys relate to the world. You're listening to Koinonia. My name is Tim Wright, filling in for Tom Brown today. We're on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. We're talking about boys uh, with Michael Gurian, who's in Spokane, and uh, Katie McPherson, who is here. She's the director, executive director of the Gurian Institute. Uh, how about for teachers, Michael? What would you say? Two or three things for teachers. You can do the macro again if you want, and maybe some of them will be the same. But what would you say for educators or even Christian leaders who are working with boys and teaching them faith lessons? Mm. Well, one thing one thing people can do is get searching for Tom Sawyer by Tim <laughs> Wright. You. you were kind enough to mention mine, and I just want to say that searching for Tom Sawyer, which Tim wrote, is a wonderful resource for to answer a lot of these questions, especially in faith communities. Um, I, I would say that for teachers, let's me stay with faith communities for a minute. I, I mean, I think that I think that faith faith is a way to save. Um, uh, young males, and that as it becomes more and more vital and more and more uh, intense and passionate and filled with you know what males need as that happens that that it will save a lot of males and it it will provide this extended family that 's needed by strategic parenting mentoring so so i I really really think faith is important um, then on the on the secular side uh, for teachers you know who are who are in the school systems uh, well just like I would beg the pe- teachers in the faith communities to, to mentor those communities and knowing how to understand boys and what works for boys in a faith community, we got to do that in the secular. And so the teachers themselves are driving the grassroots movement in the schools. And um, so I'll do two things. One is keep driving that movement and keep getting the training and compelling the professional development so that they get the training in, in male female brain difference, you know, and folks can obviously go to GurianInstitute.com and they'll see this. Um, uh, get that training and get the principals and the superintendents to give you that training because within a few days of that, your intuition will then know what to do and you'll have the strategies. And then the teachers themselves and the educational system has got to compel the academic world, the universities that are training the teachers to have a one-semester course in how boys and girls learn differently because a lot of the systemic problems for both our boys and girls in school will be solved if the teachers are trained a priori before they get into the schools, if they've had a one-semester course in gender on the brain. They won't create the systems that they now realize are not working because from the very beginning they'll know how, they'll be trained in how to create a school system that works for both boys and girls. Thank you. And Katie? 
Uh, teacher strategies? Yes, teacher strategies. Would, you know, I would go back to what I didn't do was just recognizing that boys are not defective girls. I think, you know, <laughs> as a teacher, um, my first, very first teaching job, I had 36 kids in a class and about it felt like 20 were boys. So I would say recognize too many words and going back to just really getting to know what a boy truly is and what you want him to become. Well, I sure have appreciated having both of you on the show with us today. Uh, Katie McPherson, who is here in Phoenix, and she's the executive director of the Gurian Institute, and my friend Michael Gurian, who will be here in October, October 22nd. He and I will be doing the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit at Community of Grace Lutheran Church out in Peoria. HelpingChristianBoysThrive.org backslash Phoenix, and that's a small P in Phoenix, and that will give you all the information that you need about the event. We'd love to have you there. If you're raising a boy, if you're teaching boys, if you're working with boys at all, this is an event that you'll want to be a part of. And I'm going to be back right after the break with a few thoughts to wrap things up. You're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Welcome back to the final three minutes of Koinonia this afternoon on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright, pastor of Community of Grace Lutheran Church in Peoria, filling in for Tom Brown today. We've been talking about boys, and this is something that I've been passionate about for the last nine years, and I hope that our time together has been very, very helpful. I received an email uh, several years ago from a friend in Australia And one of his comments was that he's noticed that in the Australian church, they are losing boys at an alarming rate, just like we are here in the United States. And his comment to me was this, that most churches don't really care or want to know, it seems. And I have to say, I've seen some of that. Uh, When I set out to write my book on boys, I had publisher after publisher say, uh, with regret, that there's not a market for boys in our culture today. Um, there are a number of pastors and leaders who say that anytime you talk about boys, you're starting to stereotype, you're moving back to a patriarchal system without really understanding the challenges that our boys face in the 21st century. At the same time, uh, over the last nine years, I've met a lot of people, uh, men and women, educators, church leaders, parents, grandparents, coaches, who see the need to do something different in the lives of our boys and who want to roll up their sleeves and be a part of a small band of people who can make a difference in the lives of our boys. And the great courage and hope that I take is that Jesus used 12 guys to change the world, and he can certainly use us to change the storyline of our boys. And so my question for you today is, does your church care about boys? And if so, I hope that you will consider being a part of the Helping Christian Boys Thrive event that we're going to have. It's going to be out in Peoria, Arizona at our church, Community of Grace, And it's for anyone and everyone, raising boys and working with boys. And uh, the website is helpingchristianboysthrive.org backslash phoenix. And that's with a small p. For some reason, our website is um, a bit concerned about that. So helpingchristianboysthrive.org backslash phoenix with a small p. Michael Gurian will be our special guest. He's going to be using brain science research uh, to help us understand the mind of boys. And then I'll be talking about the four different gifts every boy needs from family, from church, community educators, in order to become a heroic man. We'd love to have you be a part of it. It's going to be an important event. It's a part of it's a small part of a big movement God is doing here in Phoenix around the issue of boys. 
And again, I'd love to invite you to join us. That'll be helpingchristianboysthrive.org backslash Phoenix with a small p. I'm Tim Wright from Community Grace Lutheran Church filling in for Tom Brown. Thanks for listening to Koinonia here on Faith Talk 1360.